Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. Be safe, be smart, be kind. This mantra lies at the heart of our new series with Dr. David Nabarro, combating COVID-19 with compassion. Again, David now serves as a special envoy to COVID-19 with the World Health Organization. And in this episode, we focus on building rigorous solidarity locally and globally. Now that we're in lockdown, people need to feel supported emotionally, socially, psychologically, while still physically isolating. According to David, there are five things needed in every community to build and sustain solidarity. Knowledge is key, communication is key, physical health resources, and linking people to these local health resources is key. As well, everyone can participate in the COVID-19 solution. So don't wait to be asked. Figure out ways that your skills can help. Team up with others, adapt to them, and serve reliably as others are depending on you. These same five principles apply at a global governance level as well. Rigorous solidarity in coordinating programs and plans, and especially shared resources with the most vulnerable, becomes most important. So let's listen to what David has to say about meeting the eye of the COVID-19 storm with compassion, both locally and globally. I'm here with David Nabarro, who is one of the special envoys on the COVID-19 crisis at the World Health Organization. Today, we'd like to discuss the topic of solidarity. What does it mean for us to really, as a global society, respond to this COVID crisis? So, David, welcome. Thank you. You mentioned before that solidarity is something to do with communities coming together at different levels. So you've got your local community and how people are sort of showing up to provide services that are necessary for communities to operate at a government level. You know, how governments are working to coordinate their efforts to lock down different hotspot centers. And maybe we could talk to both the local global response in a unified way to the coronavirus and why this is so important exactly right now. Thanks very much indeed. I'd like to focus on solidarity at the different levels you've identified, but I want to look at solidarity within the context of the COVID pandemic. Let's start at the most basic feature of this disease and how it spreads. The virus is inside the lungs of an infected person, right at the top end of the lungs, just where they come together into the tubes that then come up into your throat. And when a person coughs, they are able to project droplets that contain virus, if they're infected, up to two meters away from them. And the secret of trying to get on top of a disease like this is to enable people not to be exposed to the droplets that come from an individual who has the disease. So step one is to interrupt transmission. People who've got the disease are isolated for the duration of the illness and then are unable to infect others. In order to make it less likely that they will infect if they are in contact, they can make sure that they cover their face with their elbow or with a tissue when they cough or sneeze. In that way, by isolating people or, and protecting others from them, we are able to interrupt transmission and prevent chains of transmission 
and then clusters and outbreaks from forming. And that's the right part of the control effort. Now, an easy thing to do if transmission becomes very intense is to ask people to stay physically distant from each other. And you can facilitate that through something like a lockdown. So at community level, solidarity to ensure that people are able to isolate yet be supported is key. But it's got to be solidarity that is rigorous in that it's no good just being half-hearted. Everybody's got to know who is the sentinel who's looking after them. Where can they get health support? How can they get shopping assistance? What happens if they feel unwell? So it's rigorous solidarity at the local level, supported by strong networks that come particularly from the public health actors, but also from people concerned with other issues. And that this then is coordinated at the top level by those who are looking after the response to the pandemic. Sounds super simple, but it's actually not straightforward and it's the heart of the whole response to the outbreak, interrupting transmission through solidarity at the local level. A couple of other things. Solidarity is also needed at the national level because it's no good if different parts of national government and other actors are all working at cross purposes. So ensuring again that there is rigour about the solidarity and that people are all working according to the same strategy is key. Solidarity at the global level, third point, is also critical because this is a global pandemic and it's no good if countries are operating across purposes from each other. It'll be people who will miss out. Hence, solidarity at all levels, but characterised by rigour, functioning networks and coordination. And what does that look like for a local community? What are the tools that people that you've seen have been using that have really been working to identify who might be sick and needing of help? You know, there must be people in our towns that just haven't gone out of their house. They've gone into their own personal refuge, but maybe need resources. What kinds of communications tools do you see that people are using and what does that coordinated network look like to especially support those healthcare professionals, like you suggested, are really on the front lines and are risking themselves and have needs with their family and taking care of their own lives and yet working over time. Thanks very much indeed. There are five things that are absolutely essential if this local rigorous solidarity is actually going to help ensure that transmission is interrupted. Right at the beginning, people need to have as much knowledge as they can take on board about the disease, how it's transmitted, what actions can be taken to interrupt transmission. And that knowledge has to be regularly updated. This is a new virus. We've only known about it for four months. And so there is a constant new amount of knowledge coming on board that people need to be able to interpret. Secondly, At the local level, if you're going to be rigorous, there's got to be a knowledge about the community, who's in the community, what the boundaries of the responsibility for this community are, where they are, and making certain that there are ways to keep in contact with each other. This community solidarity, which is rigorous, has to be based on a clear understanding of what I call the denominator, the people for whom there is responsibility needed. Then there's got to be a great deal of connecting, connecting the people in this community, because it's impossible to really go and see everybody all the time. And anyway, there are risks associated with that. So having means of connection, usually through telephone, like WhatsApp groups, if that's okay to mention, and also through other media of keeping connected. And by the way, 
Because we're talking all the time about physical distancing, but social connection, you can connect with people socially whilst maintaining a physical distance, even by going physically to their houses. It just means that when the door opens, you keep two meters apart and you keep two meters apart through all aspects of the interaction. Then it's necessary to make sure that the public health elements are in place. You can't do this work without having some knowledge of public health and being mentored by public health experts. For example, you need to know, first of all, what are the symptoms of COVID? You need to know what are the kinds of associated illness that can lead to particular challenges. You need to know where the health facility is to whom people who are sick should be referred. You need to have an understanding of the kind of questions that people might ask about whether their pets are likely to get ill or what they should do if they've got visitors coming to the house. Being able to interpret that using public health principles is absolutely the key. And then finally, there has to be some understanding of what you can do to support your denominator, your community that you're responsible for, if they have other needs. For example, if somebody has a particular problem in their house or they have a particular challenge that they've received a communication that they're worried about and they can't get out to deal with it, you have to be able to keep that one in place as well. So right back to the top, you need to have knowledge about the issues. You need to know your community for which you're responsible. You need to be able to help them connect with each other and with you. You need to be linked into the public health services so that you can be rigorous and you need to know how to get support to your community. With those kinds of elements, community solidarity becomes possible and can be maintained if you take responsibility for being part of a community network and having solidarity. It is absolutely essential that you're consistent about this and that you're reliable and that you're not drop, flipping in and flipping out in an inconsistent way because people are going to depend on you. Well, people are going to depend on you. And I think also to a point that was made by the Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, about the importance of especially the youth participating in this coordinated community isolation and avoiding social gatherings. This is a really important point to reinforce that even if one has quite good health, and like you suggested in our last session, the ability to create the antibodies and immunity within themselves, whilst having the disease becomes then a vector for mm spread to others. And so this is the perfect opportunity to think in a selfless way about essentially just assuming you have the virus and yeah. acting as you needed to create that that social distancing. Totally. Again, this is so important. Can you speak to the youth right now about what you would suggest they do in order to maintain a sense of social cohesion, but not in a physical way? I want to stress that in order to ensure that you yourself don't get ill and other people don't get ill, the real requirement is physical distancing. That is trying to keep two meters away from other people and trying to be aware of the potential for anybody to be infected. This physical distancing does not mean isolation. It does not mean social distancing. And Trying to convey that absolute need to be focused on the physical distance while maintaining social cohesion is at the heart of this. Now, young people in communities have always been doing their best to look after others. They do it to varying degrees, but now is the time for you to use that capacity to the full. 
Uh, what I say to every person who wants to be helpful is don't wait for somebody to ask you. Take the initiative, see if there is some way in which you can contribute and start doing it for yourself. If you find somebody else is doing it, then team up with them. If you find somebody would prefer you did it a different way, adapt what you're doing because the people who are in charge of community public health, they've got their systems, but they really need volunteers who will support them. The most important characteristic of you as a volunteer is not to say or do things that you have no skills in. So don't take on things that you probably are just not able to do, like acting as a health assistant. And at the same time, do be dependable and responsible. If you are supporting people, you must stick with any agreement you've given about when you're going to turn up. And if somebody asks you to do something and you say you're going to do it, please do it. But always do what you do in a way that is responsible for the health of the person that you are caring for, as well as for your own health and the health of the people in your family who are not going to be thankful to you if you bring in COVID and infect them, especially if you accidentally end up uh, really causing a real problem. So those are the kind of characteristics that are needed, acting within your own ability and knowledge and not stepping out of it and being dependable and making certain that you follow any instructions that you receive from the people who are in charge of what's happening in your community. You can make a huge difference by what you do. And please remember that this outbreak that leads to the big pandemic that we're dealing with in different parts of the world can be pushed back and contained and suppressed through the actions of individuals working together in solidarity. And if you're volunteering to help make this happen, you can make a huge difference by contributing to reductions in transmission. And that in turn contributes to the suppression of any outbreak that is developing. And it's through the grand accumulation of individual small actions that the total global collective effort to get on top of the pandemic will be successful. I have to say too, yes, it's important for us to evaluate what we functionally can do for society. And very easy and obvious would be to offer to go shopping and find supplies for those that are either infected or in some ways susceptible, more vulnerable to the disease. And at the same time, it seems the perfect opportunity for each of us to show up as compassionate human beings. And even if it's you know, writing a song and then communicating that out to your, your community or knowing that in your neighborhood you have someone who's, who's or more fearful or so that you, you know, make sure you do make a call. Everyone has the capacity to be compassionate in this crisis. And so, yes, to your point of each one of us having the need and the opportunity to show up as our best selves. When you mention compassion, I would like to develop that a bit because some of us perceive compassion as kindness. And I believe that is the heart of compassion. But I think also there are skills that we can demonstrate that enable us to be more effective in how we are expressing our compassion. Firstly, mm -hmm. remember that on any issue, there are always multiple perspectives. Your own perspective, if you're being helpful, may not necessarily be shared by those you are working with. And they may even find your perspective to be challenging 
So be prepared for the reality that you won't always be received with open arms, at least not at the beginning. People are going to test to see whether or not you can align with their way of seeing things in a way that is truly respectful for their positioning. Remember that that means that you have to meet everybody where they are rather than where you want them to be. And you have to adapt to their reality and feel their rhythm and pace that they're working under. All that sort of set of skills of getting into a a phase of adapting to people is very, very useful. And remember that they won't see the challenge of the pandemic and of the different elements of the disease that are contributing to the pandemic, they may not see it with the same overall vision that you do. And so you have to adapt to their vision. All these things of trying to tune in to those with whom you're working become very, very important, especially when people are scared. Because when they're scared, their own capacity to adapt to what you're offering may be less, and you have to be even more skillful adapting to them. What we need to do with solidarity, for example, across government or between different organisations that are working with government, is when we're dealing with a challenge of this enormity, we have to be able to adopt the same core principles of tuning into each other and understanding each other's perspectives and adjusting to the different rhythms and the realities of others. But when we are inside institutions, we develop a sort of loyalty to those institutions and an identity with those institutions, be they different government departments or organisations, that make it harder sometimes for us to adapt and demonstrate collective action because simply we feel our job is to stand up for our institution. So to encourage solidarity within governments or between governments and others who are working with governments like businesses or professional organisations, we need to be extra thoughtful about whether we can actually manage to leave behind the logos and the emblems of our organisations, leave behind the loyalty that we have to our organisational mission and mandate and be able blend more with the others and they've got to do the same so we can become more seamless in our solidarity. That is often the toughest part and it gets even tougher when there are political differences between the leaders of different government departments and they feel that any effort to try to find solidarity is actually betraying perhaps their political constituency. I think that's the toughest part of this response, is actually ensuring that those who are responsible for offering services are able to do so in a seamless way across government, whether it's at the local level or the national level. And it's that kind of solidarity among the actors that I would very much like to support in the work that I'm doing. Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com forward slash worldwide. Have a beautiful day.